Customers love options. Bike builders like options too. When you're looking for the highest quality plug and play lighting for your V-Twin, why not make the same choice as professional builders and make the switch to electric lighting? Electric lighting is the choice of builders like Dave Perowitz and Corey Ness. Even builders like myself have made the switch to electric lighting. Electric quality isn't just quality you can see, electric quality is quality you can feel. Did I mention that electric lighting was the first manufacturer to offer a lifetime warranty on all LED turn signals? Visit your local independent motorcycle shop or online at www.namscustomcycleproducts.com. Welcome back to the Hell on Wheels Garageville podcast. I am your host, Jason Hallman. Thank you for listening. Uh, this episode is with somebody that I've done business with for well over a decade. Just another example of how far reaching this industry that we're in uh, actually is. This is Anthony Keeling, formerly of Chassis Design Company in California, now the proprietor of Tinworks Incorporated. And we reconnected through a mutual friend and got to talking online and realized that uh, we had done a lot of stuff together, uh, having never been in the same room. Just to, like I said, another another example of how small of a billion dollar industry we are actually all involved in, in this wonderful industry of the motorcycle business. A um, couple points of interest in the uh, in the world of motorcycles. It's a couple weeks before we're going to be departing for Sturgis 2020, the 80th. It's probably going to be an off year or an odd year at any rate. Um, people are still practicing social distancing and still wearing masks. And uh, hopefully all that will be gone by December 5th and 6th of this year when once again Geico presents the Central Florida Wheels of Steel Indoor Custom Motorcycle Show at the RP Funding Center in downtown Lakeland, hosted by none other than the V-Twin visionary himself, Jeff G. Holt. He is our show ambassador this year. I'm super excited that we have such a talented promotional guy in the industry. Uh, after being the arbiter of information for hot bike magazine and street chopper magazine for so many years and having gone all over the world as an ambassador for our industry whether you like him or not i do he's a good friend of mine jeff g holt took the took the reins of, of what was left uh, of the ashes of the motorcycle industry motorcycle magazine industry actually and has turned that into quite a huge um information center so if you're not following jeff g holt at his personal page on instagram or following him on his between visionary page you're definitely missing out on what's going on so jeff is definitely leading the charge there in my opinion and i happen to value my opinion hopefully you do too jeff's been on the show a couple times and his episodes are some of our most downloaded episodes people want to hear from him and we're glad to have him here in December at our bike show, our indoor custom motorcycle show, the largest indoor custom motorcycle show in Florida. And go to cfwheelsofsteel.com for show information. If you're interested in being a sponsor or a vendor, or if you wanna be an exhibitor, uh, it's gonna be an awesome two day weekend. We cut ticket prices in half this year. We still include parking. There's lots of great venues for after hours activities. There's some really outstanding places to stay in lakeland lakeland's where i call home we love it here and uh, come join myself brian butera cody childress from whoville speed and custom uh boosted brad from death metal racing is going to be there 
lots of other people. Corey Souza hopefully will be up again. He was there last year to help support us, and this is all for a fantastic organization. It's for a nonprofit here based in Polk County, Florida, that makes sure that all kids go to voluntary pre-kindergarten for free. It's the Polk County Early Learning Coalition, something that's near and dear to my heart. We're also going to be doing a memorial ride-in for fallen Lakeland police officer Paul Dunn, who lost his life earlier this year in a motorcycle accident on his police motorcycle. So without further ado, I give you my friend, Anthony Keeling. Once again, thanks for listening. Visit our sponsors. Go to NAMS Custom Cycle Products and see all the new stuff that Jeff Zielinski and his team at NAMS Custom Cycle Products and Electric Lighting have to offer. Make sure you check out my buddy over at Lexan Moto if you're looking for a high quality, um, very, very well priced, very content rich, feature rich uh, communicator that works with a lot of other a lot of other devices. Go check out the Lexan Moto FT4 Pro available in a single pack or two pack if you buy the two you save 40 bucks go to lexandmoto.com have a good show talk to you very soon thank you very much There's really not. It's it's really. Do you ever listen to like the Joe Rogan Experience or any of that shit? Uh, a little bit. I've I've listened to. It okay, time. so that's kind of how this whole thing came about. Was I had listened to my first podcast and started a podcast within the, like the same week in 2012, and then I kind of quit doing it because there wasn't. It was hard to get people to actually come over and do this. And now that it's more common, people understand what it is. They're they're more able. You know, they're more willing to do it. So yeah, cool. So um. Good place to start. I guess you just introduce yourself as, as the easiest way to do it to the listeners. Most people probably know who you are once they hear your name. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the dudes that, that listen to this are, you know, they're they're kind of in the same circles we're in. Yeah. Uh, name's Anthony Keeling, uh, owner of uh, Tinworks, Inc. Now, uh, used to be owner of Chassis Design Company. Right. And that was in California. Correct. So how the, why do you leave California and come to Florida? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, I, I, it's just hotter and more humid here. Hotter and more humid, but uh, it's a lot more free here, you know? You guys are yeah. like no helmet law. I mean, just, right. you can't even ride a chopper down the street anymore without getting popped, you know? Really? Yeah. And what part of, where were you at? You were in LA area, weren't you? Uh, we were in uh, Inland Empire. So Riverside, okay. Riverside, California. So that's by Hemet, isn't it? Uh, yeah, not too far from Hemet. Do you know the dudes um, like Cuddy and those, those guys? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Josh Brown? Uh, red yep, rum. Yep. Did you see the red rum tank in there in the office? Yep. Yep. See yeah. That. That's his tank. Oh wow. So and so you had you had chassis design company for how many years did you have it? Sixteen years. Wow. Yep. And so you just say, I'm out or Yeah, you know, I mean it got to the point I grew that company up and I wanted to move and I was like, should I move everything? You know, or should I so I didn't I wanted to move to Australia because that's where I wanted to start a shop. So we have another location in Australia as well. 
That's a tough place to do business in the motorcycle thing. Um, well, parts why if you make the parts in Australia, it's not a it's not a problem. Importing exporting is where the where the problem right. is. But if you're manufacturing in Australia, you're 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 golden. Okay. You know, it's just uh, the importing exporting. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's that's the only experience I've ever had. I have some friends. What part of Australia are you in? Uh, Sydney. Okay, so you're completely other side away from Melbourne. Yep, yep, yep. up north more. Yeah, I've got a friend that, that lives there. I've got another guy that lives in the, what is the name of, there's like the Gold Coast? Yep, that's that's north of me. Okay, so yeah. I've, I've got a guy that lives up there too that I know. Yep. His name's Chris Nelson. Um, that I knew, a lot of these dudes that I knew, I knew through West Coast Choppers. That's how uh, I kind of got to know most of the people in the circle. Yeah. So when you had Chassis Design Company, you had you had employees and the whole thing, did you not? Yep, yep, yep. And so you just, rather than pick it up, kind of. Yeah, it's just, I just wanted to start over. I mean, we have a company for that long. Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of start over and try something new. And then um, I kind of got pushed back into this market, you know. Right. Um, so when I sold the company, you become really good friends with all your customers. Sure. You know, you're doing friend, business with them for 15 years. Well, they rely on the frames and the parts to feed their families, you know. Right. And when they can't get that, I mean, you kind of feel obligated to kind of help them out in some way, you know. Sure. So that was happening. And so I was like, well, I'll do this for you guys. And then next thing you know, it's like the freaking floodgates open, you know. Right. Now, that was when you were in Australia or yeah. when you'd come back here? No, in Australia. So you were having people from the States? Yes. Call you in Australia and say, hey, check it out. Yes. I can't get... Because if I remember correctly, I'm going to go back through. I remember um, I was buying parts from you when I was in Detroit, when I had JR Cycle Works, and we would buy your kickstands. I always bought your kickstands. Yep. I, uh, I, I want to say... If I went back and if I could find my emails, see, I lost all my emails because they were JR Cycleworks emails. So when I sold that company, I had, you know, I don't have access to those emails anymore. And I yeah. didn't have a, I didn't have the wherewithal and didn't think I would need to archive it. But it would have been funny to go back and look at some of the things you said. But I knew that we, we, you and I had talked about doing frames and you were doing frames for Indian Larry Legacy. Yep. You were doing frames for Bill Dodge, Bling yep. Cycles. You did the 71 frame and then you did the Randy frame. Yep. Did you not? And yep. then you did, he had like a, I don't want to say a basic chopper frame because it wasn't, but it was, he didn't have a name for it. It was the, the original a, one. That's the one we kind of had a diamond of. dropout yep. kind of deal on it. Yeah. Right? That's, that's the, the one we did the most of that we pushed. Were you a, were you a 17 digit manufacturer or anything like that? Yes. Or so you could issue a real title or an MSO An MSO, but we were noticed by pretty much everybody like the CHP office. They have a book, you know, mm -hmm. and you get like categorized in this book. Sure. So we were in that book. As a 17-digit VIN number manufacturer. Okay. That's a, I mean, that's kind of a big thing, especially out there. I heard that's a tough deal. Yeah. That's a tough state to kind of try to navigate through those waters, right? Yeah, it was getting worse, you know. Then they had the whole, like, when I, before I sold the company, they had the whole exhaust thing, you know. Yeah. Like, you can't get exhaust in California, any performance parts in California anymore. Like, all the EPA, you can't even get a freaking air cleaner anymore, you know. <laughs> I mean, when it got to that point, I was just like, man, I'm out, you know. So you do you have a family? Uh, no, nope, no family. Nope. Okay, so you're not you didn't have to haul kids over to Australia and a no. wife and a dog and two cats and all that. I had a dog, but I left there with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> do you you grew up? Uh, you grew up in California. Yep, grew up in Southern California. 
Right on. And so what was your background? Um, well, I grew up like in, uh, basically in the Inland Empire area, Hesperia right. is where I grew up. And okay. I, my job was, the first job I had was, well, not the first job, but the first real welding job I got was at Daytech. You remember okay, Daytech? yeah. Yeah, so I worked there for about five years and then just worked my way up to the company and then started welding frames. And then I got, I got really close with Phil Day, the owner. Okay. And, um, he passed I, away. Did he not? No, he's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah. Did that company, did that company fold? The company folded after all this stuff happened after big dog went down and okay. American iron horse and all okay. that. They were building frames for them. Yeah, they were okay. good. They were doing a thousand frames a month. Holy shit. There was 250 employees that worked there. Wow. He owned a city block, man. It'd be like this whole block. He owned all these buildings. And Too big to fail? Yeah. And right. then every building was its own, you know, thing. Like, this would be the welding facility. Okay. Right. That would be the sandblasting, powder coating, um, machine shop. It was 250 employees, man. That's uh, that. The scope of that is, is pretty large. It was unreal. Like, to, and to see how that place worked, I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it was... Uh, that's what kind of gave me all my drive and focus and how I'm organized. It, 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 all, it all came from that place. Sure. Yeah, I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people. It probably is lost on me um, is the organizational flow of work from from jump to the next level. It's something that I'm, you know, after all these years in the business, we're even thinking about, okay, we gotta, we've got to start thinking like a larger scale operation or we'll never be able to be a larger scale operation, you yeah. know? Yeah giving people specific jobs and that. So you, you started at Daytech. How long were you at Daytech for? I worked there for about five years. Okay, so you got a pretty good group of, of you know, skills under your belt. And yep. you were, did you move around in the company or were you just like right yeah. there welding and that was it? I, no, I started I started off just welding, um, just like parts. They don't just put you on frames right away. Right. And then I moved up. I started, you know, moving up to swing arms and I started doing frames. And then I started building bikes on the side. Okay. And that caused a lot of crazy like problems with people that work there because they're like, oh, how come he's able to, you know, use the machines after work? So then like everyone wanted to start building bikes. Oh, you know? gotcha. And then it got to the point where like, okay, well now no one can do it. So how were you able to do it after work? Did you just ask and no one else did or? Well, yeah. I mean, I just had more drive there. I would just stay later than everyone, you know, I'd stay there till nine or 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. You, know? you don't have kids, you don't yeah. have a wife, so you can, you can put in the work. Yeah. So that's what I did, and then I built, you know, first couple of my bikes that mm -hmm. I first built when I was 21 years old. I built a chopper, you know, that right. was like the baddest thing ever. You know? Right. <laughs> um, what did it have for power? Uh, just a stock 80 inch Evo. It was a 38 degree rake bike. I mean, it kind of looked like a little CFL, you know. Sure. Um, and then after that, I was hooked. You know. Yeah, and you build one, you want to build more. Yeah, I flipped that thing and then built another one. I built a rubber mount this time with a. Daytech had like a chassis called a Skulker. It was kind of like a FXR style frame. Was that the one that the big dog used for their Pro Street? Yep. It was FXR drive drivetrain, but it lo almost looked like a shovel head swing arm frame. Yep. yep, that was it. I'm trying to remember if that was a boxer, I think was the the model that they called that. Yeah, I forgot what they it called it, but Daytech called it a Skulker is was, was okay. the name. But um, So I built one of those and just kept going from there, you know? Right. And then uh, so I started building bikes. But then I knew that I wanted to manufacture my own product right. because I knew that just building bikes, it wasn't really, you know, the money's kind of like always like this, you know? Sure. So then I started making my own, 
but you need a lot of money to buy all the equipment, you know? So I just start, <laughs> I would just flip bikes. Right. Constantly. So I started, we started a company called, um, chopper design company in Upland, California. Okay. Me and a partner, uh, Jeff Delisle, we're still good friends. And, um, we started building bikes and we, and then on the side, we would build bikes on our, on our own and flip them. Right. So then one year I built like five bikes and flipped them. Right. And then with all that money, I just kept buying, you know, mill, lathe, built a fixture and then, uh, just kept going from there and then just started manufacturing my own product. And this is around what year? 2000? Uh, no, this is 2005. Okay. Yeah. So the chopper thing was well underway. Oh yeah. Big dog was making, selling more motorcycles than they could make. Yeah. Texas iron horse was still around. That was Bob K's company, wasn't it? I don't know who owned that place. I never, I never met it, met him, you know, but they had the, the Texas iron horse was the, that was the, the super high neck with the real long tank. And yeah. And then, uh, there was a couple other companies too. There was, there was Paramount custom cycle, Aaron green stuff. And then there was, uh, Pulte homes even owned a company. Um, Saxon choppers. Mm. was owned by Pulte Homes. Yep. Swift, the trucking company, Swift. had Swift Motorcycle Company. Yep. And then there was another one that came out, like, a little bit later than that. They were called Intrepid. I don't know if you know. If you, they were in, uh, like, Lake Elsinore area. No. Yeah, they were using, like, a fuel-injected motor. They came out. <laughs> okay. Um, Thunder Mountain was another one. Yeah. So, so, you, so you're in, you've got the Chopper Design Company. This is around 2005. Date, yep. you, this, is, this is long after Daytech, right? Yep. When did you leave Daytech? Well, no, it was it was literally back to back. So you were doing it at the same time? No, no, it was like right after I left Daytech, I basically started. We started Chopper Design. Yeah. Company. So what years you were in Daytech from? Two thousand to two thousand five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you started around two thousand. Yeah. All right. I think I left there in two thousand four, actually. Okay. There. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to build like a timeline to kind of because and the reason why I want to build a timeline is because you went away and no one. When I say no one knew where you went, no one I knew knew where you went. Uh-huh. And then, like, eight months ago, I'm over there talking with Bill, and he's like, hey, man, Anthony is back in business, and he's here in Florida. And I was like, what? <laughs> because it, I knew that I heard the rumor that you had sold around. I want to say you sold around 2016, 2017. I'm trying to think of where I was yeah, at. Yeah, that, that's right. And so, and how I found out that you weren't around anymore is I called, or I either called or emailed, and someone else called back and was like, yeah, he's not here no more. And I'm like, doesn't he own the company? He's like, yeah, he doesn't own the company anymore. And I was trying to buy one of those kickstands or oh, one of those kind of deals, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, what do you guys do? And then I know they do a lot of bagger frames now, it looks like. Yeah. I mean, you know, their their social media is different than – I'm trying to – social media, I don't know how active you even were on, on that. I, I kind of don't have uh, a good memory of where things were. But I know that you were there, then you weren't there. I didn't know where you went. It's yeah. didn't, he didn't say like, yeah, he moved to Australia to start a, a company. Yeah. I just, you kind of ghosted, uh, you were ghosted to me anyway. Yeah. And then Bill, like six, eight months ago, told me that you're, you're in Florida now. So I was like, shit, cool. And I saw you, you had had an advertisement in, uh, I want to say Florida Full Throttle Magazine. Yeah. Tony Cianci's magazine. Yeah. So, so 2005, you've got Chopper Design Company. And then you said that was, that, that went away at some point? Yeah. Um, once we, once Chassis, Chassis Design started, like, literally in the same building right after that, um, maybe, like, a year and a half, I just kind of started starting Chassis Design. And then uh, once we got the equipment, we started really going forward with it. Now, do you do stuff in CAD, too? Or are you just, I mean, are yeah, you, like, do, turnkey? Yeah, or basically. So, okay, turnkey. and Chassis Design Company, that had how many employees? Um, at the peak, 
about 17, 18. That's a, that's a sizable operation. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty two shifts, man. Okay, and then 2008 happens. What happens in 2008? 2008. Um, the market crash. Yep. Does, that, does that affect you guys or? Uh, because it you're didn't not. Affect us, it didn't affect us actually at all. Because you're not doing the big dog. No. You're not doing Texas Iron Horse. We, you're not we were doing, doing all the onesie, twosie guys, and that was flat out. You know, we were doing, um, I think we were doing about anywhere from 15 to 35 frames a month, depending. That's that's a pretty good that's yeah. a pretty good number. A lot of little shops that were building bikes. Uh, do you remember a guy out of? Uh, he was out of California. I'm trying to remember his name. He was doing like a hundred bike builds a month, and he got popped by the EPA. Okay, so was it Big Mike's Choppers? No, his name was Tory. Trying to think of the name of his. He shop. was doing that many that yeah. many bikes. He was. What part of California was he in? He was in Southern California. He was like in Orange. I'm trying mm. to remember the name of his company. How, how does that one slip by me? Well, I yeah. don't know. There was a lot of those guys, though. A lot of guys, like little shops that were doing, you know, 10 bike builds a month. There was least. Guard Hollinger, but th that wouldn't have been him. He was in no, L.A. That was, was L.A. County him. Chop Rods. It was, it was uh, oh, that's the name of his company. That's bizarre that I don't, that I, that does not ring in a bell. Maybe the name would, if, if we could think of the name. But. Yeah, the name of the company. Yeah, the EPA pulled is, uh, pulled all of in numbers. Like, and then, so they came to me and they were trying to get like all the frames that I sold him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the VIN numbers that I sold him. And I was like, oh, I don't keep records that far back, you know? Right. And, well, that's uh, the right thing to do. It's like, if I know it's crazy. So yeah, all those people that he built all those bikes for, they pulled all the registration on all those bikes, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal. That's uh, that was like in 2000, probably in. 2010 okay yeah maybe 2010 all that happened and so is that point is that is there was there ever a point with chassis design where you're like oh shit or you know well that's another reason why i wanted to go the other way because we were getting the epa was coming in our shop as well yeah and um like harassing us you know what are you guys doing with these bikes where are they going um are you riding these on the street we had to put not for sale on all the bikes uh is this because you're in california 100 percent hundred percent, man. Yeah, they so went it's to not even the EBA; it's the cardboard. Yeah, well, yeah. California Air Resource Board. Research. Yeah, they they had one guy that was going around just like he, the same guy went to Jesse's shop too, and then you they know, dinged him for a quarter of a million bucks. Yeah, they they, but this guy was just man, just ruthless. You know, coming to shops. Oh, there was another shop that was over there, um, highway or not? Uh, what was it called? It was in it was in Ranch Cucamonga. It was kind of big for a while. They they got popped too. Really? Yeah. It's just, it's it's so weird that somewhere where it is that is known overwhelmingly for being a place where as the genesis of a lot of cool shit. You know, I mean, you, you can say whatever you want about it. I mean, California is is kind of the epicenter of a, a lot of really really neat things that happened in you know in culture and you know cult things and fashion and movies and all that stuff being out there that it's also the place where totalitarianism shows up most often in this country too is you know in under the auspices of government you know yeah. and jesse told uh told i don't remember who he told if he told us on the chopper dogs board that he told the california air research board hey i'll i'll pull all these bikes back 
and I'll I'll put California missions on them. And they're like, no, we're just going to fine you. And he, so it's a money grab is basically what he said, is that, you know, they don't even want them fixed. They just they just want money. Yeah. Which is kind of gross. Yeah, it sounds about right, you know. <laughs> yeah, part of the course, right? <laughs> yeah. So they come into your shop. They start coming in your shop more often, and they, they just basically come in and just walk around wherever they want to go? Or what's how does uh, that work? Well, basically, you know, that, back when we had that retail shop, like like what you have, that, you know, the doors are wide open. Okay. But then when we went to manufacturing, doors are shut, you know? Right. So you can't come in. Right. Um, and then that's that was a lot nicer as well, you know, because you don't get just get random people coming in the shop trying to. Sure. So, um, yeah, after that, it was just all stopped, you know. So you had, I know you've had a few products of your own. I mean, in addition to building frames for top-level builders and stuff, people like Indian Larry Legacy and uh, Bill Dodge, um, among others, you had a line of your own stuff too. Correct, yeah. You had that side hack bike, I remember. Yep. That's a cool bike. Yeah. So when you sold Chassis Design Code, did you keep any of that shit? Um, well, most of that stuff, like the bikes, I build them and I eventually sell them. Okay. Uh, you, you don't keep one. There's uh, not well, one that's like keep... near and dear to your heart mm. that you can be hang out to. <laughs> I try to, but eventually it usually goes away, you know? Yeah, right? You know, yeah. Somebody makes you an offer that you don't want to refuse. Yeah. You know, I went to a good friend of mine, my, one of my good painters that paints my, my bikes for me, uh, Seth from Aggressive Design. Okay. So he actually owns the bike now. Um, so... It went to a good place, and they use it all the time for their shows and stuff like that. That's cool. So you still get some exposure through that way. Yeah. Because I, I noticed, too, like, that you're not, like, um, everybody kind of, you're you're like the Wizard of Oz. Everybody kind of knew, they knew who your company was. They knew what your quality was, but you didn't, you weren't, like, you didn't put yourself out as the face of the company. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Anthony Keeling's, you know, chassis design co. It was never, you know, you made it, you branded it to where it was, it was really kind of its its own deal and it stood on its own. It was never really about anything other than these parts that you made. Yeah. And then you couldn't really differentiate um, whether you made the part for you or if you made a part for somebody else, rather, it was definitely their signature and, and you didn't, you didn't, you know, bastardize that. I always yeah. thought that was something cool that you did you know yeah. it made me want to have you know i'm not a creative guy i'm in in my problem is i'm largely a fan right so when someone makes a really neat motorcycle part i want to build a bike and use it yeah right yeah. I don't, i'm not i'm not smart enough to come up with my own cool shit <laughs> yeah i mean it's like anything you do once you get into it and you start making stuff all the time you come up with cool little ideas and you know it's just but my niche i guess you know right so you guys, so you, you decide around 2016, 2017, things are still good, but you want to move, right? Yep. Because obviously, because all the, the, the horse shit that's going on, how many employees do you have when you decide you're going to put the company up for sale? How does that? Uh, I think there was about seven at that time. Okay. So you're still, I mean, you're still going to work every day, yep. keeping the lights on, you're feeding, there's seven people that are feeding their families working for you. Yep. You, you just decide one day you're going to sell or do you, no, does somebody approach you? It takes a long time, man. It's a big process, you know? Right. You have to get, um, I was, I knew in like 2016, 20, end of 2015 that, it, cause I tried to live over there and I was trying to have people run the shop managers. Huh. Right. And it just was not, I tried two different times with two different managers and it just would not work. What was the biggest, what was the biggest failure? The biggest failure was not investing back into stock. So they take the money and then they either spend too much on labor and not invest back into it. Inventory, inventory, and, and then, you're talking raw materials now, right? You're talking you raw know. materials, yeah, raw materials or um, tooling. You know, when you got a hundred, you know, you get an oil tank orders and you don't have any oil tank caps, 
It's like, where in the hell are the oil tank caps? Why yeah. You, like, <laughs> you just, it's, you have to be a really good planner, you know, cause you see, you see it coming, you know, you get, you got 30 oil tank caps left, you know, you need oil tank caps, right? So you have to get them on the, you have to get them, you know, you're talking months ahead of time. Yeah, you have to work your. You have to work all that stuff in into the mix yes. so that it all. You the, ideally it all arrives at the end like a funnel, right? Yep. So everything comes out at 100%. the end of the funnel, and it's very hard for people to grasp because my shop, I have two different sides. I have a machine shop and a fab shop. Okay. And that's very hard for people. You either find a guy that knows how to do the fab shop side or the machine shop side. You will not find a guy that knows how to do both. Really, it's okay. very hard. Because it's two different worlds. Well, machinists are very concrete, sequential. They deal in numbers. They, you know, they, it, when I worked, I worked at a, a place that had a fab shop in it and a machine shop in it. And the guys in the fab shop all wore one kind of uniform and were a little bit dirtier. And the dudes who worked the machine shop wore white, like work shirts. Uh-huh. So, because they're not getting quite as dirty. <laughs> it's very hard, like I said, to find someone that knows how to do both. Right. You know, you're going to find one or another. It's like a doctor and a lawyer. You know, sure. To find a guy that understands both worlds and then to organize it all, you know, it's, um, it's nearly impossible. Wow. You know, so when I would leave to go to Australia, I would shut down the machine shop side because I'd, I'd have in, in stock, I'd have parts for about me a couple months. Sure. So I didn't need to, but I just couldn't do any private labeling for a lot of people. And at the time I was, I was doing a lot of stuff for, uh, Mark Rusty Butcher uh, okay. Tracker die. Those guys. Sure. Um, Steve speed King. I was doing a lot of stuff for him. A lot of okay. label stuff. So I would try to get as much products I could to all those guys before I'd leave. And then before I'd come back. Gotcha. Um, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I know that those guys all have kind of their own brand and doing them. I didn't know that Mark really did anything. I always thought, Mark- well, I was there when Mark started that company. He, so he started making, um, po- uh, pocket tools. Right. Should have brought one. You could have seen it. Yeah, he started making pocket tools, um, little knife with like a little like with his logo on it, and it had like a little body bottle opener, and then uh, just just little trinkets like that. Okay. Yeah, that's how he started, and then um, then he got into making the wallets and stuff, and that thing just kind of took off. Yeah, and he's kind of one of these enigmatic guys that doesn't really. I don't mean he doesn't do anything, but I mean he's he's part of part of our culture and part of the industry and part of the landscape, but you you kind of really don't know exactly. What his skill set is. Yeah. You know what I mean? His skill set is marketing, man. That guy's freaking. Yeah. Yeah. He's really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. He sees something and, um, yeah, he's very good at it. Hands down. Right. Yeah. I always felt like that was something maybe that, that was lost on your company. Did you just, um, I mean, I was doing fine the way I was. I mean, I do a lot of stuff, like I said, under the table, private labeling for other people. Um, I mean, you can always get bigger, but then, you know, more headaches, you know? Sure. When I had. Well, I just meant like there was never like, you know, uh, all the merch that. Oh, gotcha. You know, it was like the merch. Do you know who Frank is from Speed Dealer? Yeah. Yeah. So like he's the same way. Like I don't really, you know, he kind of. Yeah. He just kind of rides his own wave. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know him through Jesse, too. And anytime I order stuff from him and I order a lot of stuff from him, um, you know, he'll send me a T-shirt or something like that. And, you know, but. You don't you don't see him posting all the time on social media. I kind of envy guys like you and in him that have a strong enough skill set and enough self worth that you're not trying to get people to like you. Well, I think you're so busy in the shop you don't have time to. <laughs> That's good, right? If you're you know? if you're busy in the shop, that usually yeah. means that you're making money. Yeah. So I think that's part of the problem. You know, he he's back there probably running those keeping those machines busy. Yeah, I think that's his that's his that's his deal, you know, yeah. and and he's happy to do it and he he's a great dude. But uh I I 
you know, I think it's interesting that there's this group of people that that don't that don't put themselves out there when there's some other guys that do and you find out that they're having somebody else make their shit and that, you know, I mean, they're scribing something on a, on a napkin and then they're, you know, someone else is cad it up. Somebody else is 3d printing the prototype. Yeah. Somebody else is testing it out and somebody else is manufacturing it. So yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. all right, I get it, but you know, you're not all that in a bag of chips, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lot, you know, that comes around around a lot. So you, you leave, you, you're trying to leave, you, you try to have managers run your company. You're coming back. How often are you coming back and forth from Australia? About every three, three months. That's a long flight. Yeah. That's an expensive hours. flight too. Yeah. It's about, you can get a ticket for about a thousand bucks round trip. That's not hateful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're flying into LAX. Yeah. From here. See, I got to fly from here. <laughs> I got to fly <laughs> it's like, six hours or whatever to LAX. Then yeah, I would have to fly it's like a forty-hour flight from and here. this four hundred dollars. <laughs> so it it does increase the thing. I never even thought about the the economics of that. But yeah. so you're coming back and forth every three months. You're coming back to a, a shit show. I'm sure in some way, shape, or form, there's some sort of a problem, right? Yeah, I mean that's you know I'd get the phone calls you know from customers or something like I three in the this. morning. Yeah, I ordered this three weeks ago, a month ago. I haven't heard phone call or you know it's always something you know right. So. After that, I was just like, you know, once you once you start a business like that, you know, I mean, you're, you're like married to it, you know? Like, yeah, I, I, exactly. And I was just like, I just need to like start over, you know? Right. So that's when I was like, I just need to sell it and then I can just do whatever else I want. So you, you decide you're going to sell it. Yep. You, do you tell do you tell everybody like this is oh, yeah. this is going on the auction yeah. block? Yeah, everyone knows. And so someone steps up that is outside of the, your circle, or somebody in your circle brings somebody in, or do you, well, do you get a broker? I got a broker. Okay, he's like he's like selling a house. You know, he sure. gets everything ready. You get all your paperwork in line, all the inventory. I mean, dude, you have to go. I have freaking fifty cabinets filled with parts. You know, sure. You have to go through every cabinet, inventory, everything, um, all the tooling. All the machines, you know, I mean, it's just so much work. But then you do all that, and then then they put it online, you know. Then people come look at it, um, and then some guy came and just decided to like it and just bought it. Wow. Yeah. And so is there a point where you're like, holy shit, like this isn't mine anymore? This is weird? It was uh, kind of relief, you know, for a little bit. I mean, I, I didn't work for... For about eight months afterwards, I kind of just traveled around. I, I got a lot of good friends in Japan, and I lived in Japan for about four months. You okay. Know? Um, so not having your phone on you all the time where you have to answer emails and stuff was really nice. Yeah. You know, just just to get away from that for a while. Right. And so you got you – got, I'm assuming you have – it's it, you know, as a metaphor, you, you got a pocket full of money that will let you do some of the things that you wanted to do. You've yep. got a little bit of time to do some of the things you haven't done. Yep, 100%. Right? And at some point in time, you're like, hey, okay, I can either keep going on what I've got and just kind of make it last or make an investment and live off of that, mm -hmm. or I can I'm, – I'm tired of not working. I need to do something with my hands before I lose my skills, or what, what, what brings you to getting back in the mix? Well, you know, you always, I, I enjoy, I really enjoy building bikes. Sure. You know? And um, I think I just got sick of just, uh, oh, sorry, man. No worries. <laughs> um, it happens. <laughs> I, I got, I just got, yeah, I needed to do something with my hands again and start working again. And then, well, when I sold the company, there was an option for them to 
they had up to six months to return some of the portion of the inventory, right? Well, when they did that, they they, they exercised that option. Yes, and so I got stuck with all this inventory. What was the point of that? Well, they weren't marketing and selling the parts the same way I was, so the parts weren't selling. Well, because they weren't trying to really sell them, and so uh, I got stuck with the products, and I was like, well. I got to resell the stuff. Right. You know? So I started reselling it and I started Australia market is completely different than the U S. So you ship everything over there. Correct. I take everything. How expensive was that? Well, I got, I shipped a container over there because okay. I, I shipped my car over there and I got a couple motorcycles and stuff that I kept that I shipped over there. And, um, so I shipped the parts over there and so I started selling them over there and then people were kind of finding out who I was from the parts, you know, sure. and then, um, oh, can you do this and that? And I said, oh, yeah, I could do that. And then just one thing turned into the next, you know. So you go over there. You're over there. You think you so you you do you go to Australia to open a business or do you end up in Australia and open a business? There's because there's a difference in between those two things. I was opening up a business in Australia. Yes. Okay. So you were going to Australia to open a business. Correct. And so you go to Australia, you open your business. People find out about you. You start getting, you, you know, your reputation precedes you because obviously you're Anthony from Chassis Design Co. Yep. And surprisingly enough, especially in the motorcycle industry and the motorcycle circles, people in Australia know they have a very good idea of what's going on over here. Correct. They buy the magazines. They're on in the internet. It's really kind of open source of all for all intents and purposes. You can follow somebody on Instagram anywhere in the world. Yeah. Right. So they yeah, know who exactly. you are. And so it's really kind of an easy, there's no selling it. It's there. There's definite need for it over there. Yeah. So we started selling parts over there and then it started really taking off, you know, um, same thing, but I was having a lot of problems with the frame manufacturing over there, shipping the frames in and out of customs, right. they would stop the frames. Where are these vans at? Where's the registration for these vans? Even if they're going out of the country. So I have a really good customer in Japan. I don't know if you know, Indo cycles. No? I, Indo don't, Auto. I, I don't think so. No. They're massive in Japan. That's somewhere that I really, really, really like. I don't have a bucket list. You know, I've got kind of a fuck it list. Yeah. But I do have a bucket list item. I want to go to Moon Eyes at some point in time in my life. Yeah, you know, I haven't. I still haven't been to Moon Eyes. Really? Uh, yeah. But I've been I've been to Japan multiple times. Um, but the these Japan the chopper market is freaking massive, even like right now. So are there a lot of people there, or is just a lot of opportunity? A lot of opportunity. Okay. So I built a bike in 2007. I think I sold it for, it was a chopper, like 27 grand or something, right? Right. And then I went to Japan eight months ago and the bike was there on the floor for $35,000 and they sold it. Yen? So that's like 350 million yen or something, isn't it? 35,000 US. Yeah, that's what I meant yeah, to, yes. to, to yeah. kind of extrapolate it out. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I was like mind blown. I mean, this bike from 2007, so you can imagine how old it is. Sure. I mean, it had a TP motor in it, but I mean, Oof. that bike, you wouldn't get not even 10 grand over here for it. You know? That's the weird thing. So that, that market over there is massive. So these guys order frames and a ton of parts from me all the time. Okay. Um, and big bulk orders. So they're, and I'm really good friends with them. I've known them for, you know, 12 years, been sure. doing business with them. And uh, I wanted to see them thrive, you know? Absolutely. Um, and and they're like family to me. So I'm keeping that going, you know? And then... Uh, so this is why you're in Australia. 
Yeah. You're, you're kind of, now well, you, you're in Australia now. You take a container over there. You decide that's where you're going to land. Yep. You rent a building. Yes. You start, you, you buy a mill, you buy a lathe, do all the things you have to do, or they were in the, in the container. I brought some of the stuff in the container, like my toolboxes and stuff and the, in the fixtures, the frame fixtures. I still kept like two of those that I had. Okay. Um, but, uh, most of the stuff I rebought in Australia. Okay. And then, uh, I have a business partner as well over there. He's the one that runs a shop when I'm not there. Okay. Um, and this guy is very talented, like very talented. That's why I became business partners with this guy because that's one thing good. I, cause he can run a machine shop and a fab shop. Well, I don't have a full machine shop over there. I just have manual stuff. Sure. You know, CNC stuff. Okay. But I'm very good at spotting talent. You know, yep. it's, you, you know, you work with your hands, you work next to somebody. And you're like, man, this guy's very talented. Right. And so I told him, I said, I'd like to partner up with you. You know, if you'd be down with that. And he said, yeah. So we became good friends and then we partnered up and it's been, you know, good ever since. That's good. It's hard. It's really hard to be partners with people, even yeah. an honest to goodness guy that's an ass kicker and an ass buster and works really hard is hard to be partners with. Yeah. Yeah. We got a good relationship, you know, and it, we did it a little bit different than most people, you know, the way our partnership works. Um, but I mean, it works out for us. So, right. That's um, good. So that's that business. What is that business called in Australia? Tinworks. Okay, so Tinworks in Australia. Yep. Okay, and then you're there. You're so uh, this is 2020 now. 2019, I think, end of 2019 is when I heard that you were back over here, but you decided to be in Florida. So we're only talking two, three years max that you're in Australia, getting established. Yep. And what happens where you go like well, ah, I'm going back? So I'm going back to the states. Well, I needed to come back. Well, I didn't need to, but the frame manufacturing for here is a lot easier to get, get the frames out the door. Um, and like I said, it was, it was starting to be a headache in Australia, shipping the frames from Australia to wherever they were going. They were still getting stopped in customs and sometimes they would hold them for a long time. They wanted like legal documentation of, uh, well, where are the motors at? I mean, it was just one thing after the next. So are you explaining to these people, we built these out of raw materials? <laughs> yes. But you know, they're like, Oh, we want engineering certs for them. I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. Why I'm shipping them out of the country to be used elsewhere. It's just how it is. And it, it's, um, no, I, mean, I get it. That's what I meant earlier when I yeah. said that I heard it. It's a pain in the ass yeah. to do stuff over there. So if, if they were staying in Australia, it wouldn't be a problem. So, so anyways, I have a buddy that started a company over here. It's a, uh, it's called generator super center. Okay. And he's a very good friend of mine, like one of my best friends. And like they, uh, they bought a company, you know, Generac. Have you heard of the Generac? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they bought a franchise. Okay. And they were making these, um, so they need the stands for the generators, like right. on all the water, wherever there's water, you know, two feet and above. And my buddy Dave is like, okay, we're going to get a building and, uh, you know, you put your stuff in there and just come for a little bit of time till hurricane season, build all the stands and then bounce back out. You yeah. Know? I was like, oh, that might not be a bad idea. So okay. I came over to help them out with that, get it going. So you came over to help somebody. Everything's good over in Australia. Correct. The lights are on. You're enjoying yep. life. Life's good. Did you, you buy a house or you get an apartment? No, or are you kind of chilling out over just there? Just chilling out. You're good. Everything. You can drive your hot rod over there. You can yep. all this. Because you had a hot rod, did you not? Wait a minute. Yeah. You owned you own Kid Rock's hot rod, don't you? No, it used to be Bling's. It used to be Bill's car. So you had Bill's. 62? It's a 61 one? Chevy Biscayne. 61. Yeah. You still have that? No, I, I sold it. I was going to say, it was on eBay a few years ago. Oh, it was? Pretty inexpensive. I thought you sold it on eBay. Did nope. you not? No. Nope. I sold it to another friend. 
uh, a buddy of mine, Mike at Malibu Motorcycle Works, he sold it to like one of his buddies. I don't know who it, it was. was on eBay. Oh, it was. Yeah, I know it was for a fact because it said in there that it was his. It's the white one. Yeah, is it not? Yeah, yeah that's it, white. Yeah, and it's it's the bubble front kind of. Yeah, the, the back window a, bubbles out. Yeah, they made a toy out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. Okay, so that, that that bike or that car was on eBay for sale because that's I'm not like a big I'm a big Bel Air guy but I like 65, 66s, but I'm, my brain just went like, wait yeah. a minute. I remember that you had that car. You bought it off Bill, did you not? Yeah, I bought it off Bill. When he, when he moved to Jersey. Yep. And then, uh, so then I heard that the guy that was, he was trying to, I think he was trying to sell it and Jesse wants it back. And the guy told Jesse's like some crazy price, I guess. That's what Jesse does to people. So why not do that to him? And he's got the, he's got the cheddar. So uh, Jesse wants it back. Isn't that weird? Yeah. That's a weird relationship. Yeah. That really is because yeah. I don't know Jesse real well, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I consider myself very good friends with Bill. Yeah. You know, I've known him for an awful long time and I've never heard Jesse say anything good about him. And I've never heard Bill say anything really bad about Jesse, but I will tell you that it, I, I had a similar situation where I just think that you remember when you were a little kid, yeah. you have a cousin that you spent way too much time with in the summertime. And by the end of the summer, you guys are beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. Right? You didn't want to see each other, but it was still, it's your best cousin, you know? And I, I, in my heart of hearts, because I, I want it, my toxic trait is I want everyone to get along. I, I, before I, before I leave the earth, I hope that Bill and Jesse are in the same room and they give each other a hug, even if they never talk again after that, just, just it just, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I you know, that that's just a weird toxic trait to have, but that's funny. So you, 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 what do you, what car did you take over to Australia? Um, I actually have a. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. Oh, there. Cool. I got excited about that. About that <laughs> I have a '61 uh, Volkswagen right okay. drive Beetle. Right. Yeah. Kind of funny how the story came. I, so I got the car like in 2008, and it came from Australia. Right. And then I brought the car back back to Australia. It's <laughs> a boomerang. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of funny. That's clever. Yeah. And so you have, you got motorcycles and stuff over yeah. there too. Yeah. So how do you ride your motorcycles over there? From what I understand, it's a tough gig to try to play to a bike over there. Um, well, it's just like anywhere, like in California, you just got to know the right people. It's kind of the same thing in Australia. You okay. Know, you get someone to sign it off, um, but you can still get popped. You know, if you get popped by the cops, then you got to go get it signed off again. Okay. So it could be a headache. Depend. It it all depends on where you live. So you got to have blinkers and you got to have this. Yes. You got a giant license plate on it. Do you, yeah. Is it a chopper? Uh, it's a little like bobber style bike, you know. Right on. Yeah, um, the market. Yeah, like I said, it's 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 different over there. Um, v rods are very popular. You know, it's really funny that you say that. So there's a company called I want to say that's Burley, and it's spelt real funny. Oh yeah, Burley handlebars. Oh man, freaking two inch thick, dude. Oh, so this is the funniest thing ever. I'll show you. Oh, my phone's in the other room. So this dude, uh, th this is funny. This is coming up because this has come up like four times in the last two weeks. This kid calls. He's like, I want to put apes on my V rod. I'm like, No, we can't do that. Like I'm trying to talk everything to talk him out of it. Right? Yeah. Well, he shows up. And this V-Rod comes and looks like it's from Mad Max. It's all spray He spray painted the entire thing flat black, exhaust and everything. Uh -huh. And he's got a backpack. And I go, you want to put ape hangers on a V-Rod? And he flips the backpack around. He's got these ape hangers sticking out of him. He's like, no, I'm going to put ape hangers on this V-Rod. And we did. He was fucking happy as a lark. But they were. They were giant. I mean, they're well made. Yeah. But it's a V-Rod. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> it's very popular over there, man. And the bigger diameter, the better. So they make, uh, they started doing them at like inch and a quarter, which is normal. Right. 
and then inch and a half, and I was like, ah. And then now they make two inch. Okay. So I mean, it's crazy. You know, and those dudes at Burley, and it's spelt real weird. I've yeah. got a sticker on the outside door too. I'll show you when when we're done with this. The the sticker, it's like B U R L E I. Yeah, they're up in Queensland. I guess they got in trouble. They were trying to go through some crap too because they were. Uh, like they were getting busted over there because their handlebars were too high. Okay. So they were giving them crap about that, you know? I mean, it was just like, man. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. It's, it's um, you know, there's regional things like that everywhere, though. Like, like so, uh, you know, in Sturgis, ape hangers are a thing in Sturgis. Yeah. They're not in Daytona. Daytona, if you're revving your motor and it's too loud, that's a thing there. Yeah. Right? So you're in Australia. This is around 2017 you go there? Y- yep. Okay, yep. so you come back, you're going to make generator stands for Yeah, I'm going to help friend. my buddy out get, get his business going, you know. They're buying these stands, and they're paying, like, a crazy amount of money for them. Like, right. I think it was, like, 3000 bucks they're paying per stand. I mean, they were just getting reamed. And he, he showed me the, the plans, and I was like, dude, I could build that for nothing compared right. to that. And he's like, well, you can get them going for us. And so that was the deal. I was going to get it going for them, and then eventually they're going to start manufacturing them in-house. Okay. When they get a big enough building. Sure. They have to open to up two facilities, and the other one's going to be a manufacturing facility. Gotcha. For the stands. And I'm sure. going to help them do all that stuff. You know? So so you're just, are you just here moonlighting for a couple years? Or Basically, do you think, yeah. Okay, you don't think that Florida will ever be somewhere that you... Um, no, I mean, I might go back and forth, you know. Okay. Um, but it's definitely a lot easier when I get the frames done here to ship them wherever they need to go, you know. So you come here, you're doing stuff with your buddy, you, you end up getting, do you ship one of your frame tables over here? Do you build one? Yeah, I, I ship my frame table over here. Okay, so you're here... Your tools are still in Australia. Or they're here. I ship my tools. Everything. Okay. So not everything. Just but, uh, uh, yeah. everything you have here is is shipped over. You've got enough stuff to do Correct. all the things you're going to do. So, Tinworks sets up here. You're in Pinellas, aren't you? Yep, Pinellas Park. Okay. So, what do you think of Florida? Oh, it's pretty cool, man. So far, I mean, it's had, hot. Had, had you been here before? Uh well, I come like for Bike Week all the time. Okay. Um, but I've never been to like this side on the on the West Coast. Yeah, it's a little different on the West Coast. Yeah. It's very different on the West Coast. It's yeah. not better. It's not worse. It's nothing. It's just very different. Yeah. I find that um, more of your people from the Midwest are here on the West Coast, and the people from on the East Coast are more, you know, Northeasterners, you know, oh, New yeah. York, Boston, that kind of stuff, Got you it. know. And the, we're here in the middle of the state. Yeah. And I tell everybody that I think you're uh, – you're, median uh, IQ goes down about 10 points every 20 miles <laughs> to where you get to the middle of the state. And the median IQ is like, you know, <laughs> yeah, 55, 65, right? Yeah. So I, I like it though, because it's like the wild west, man. I mean, literally you can do anything. Like, yeah. You can shoot machine guns. You can own machine guns. You can, you can drive people in the carry. back of your truck. You can, yeah, no I helmet. see the people all the time. No helmet. So you have I mean, a bike while you're here. Yeah. Okay, what what bike did you bring down? Uh, I brought my bike from Australia, that little that little bobber that I okay, built. Okay, right on. And I'm building. I'm actually building another bike at the shop right now, another okay. sidecar bike. Okay, awesome. With a sporty motor, yeah, that'd be pretty cool when it's done. It was funny. I was going through. Um, I was going through the the Florida Full Throttle magazine where I saw your ad, and I was like, I recognize that work. Yeah. And it was funny to see that. I don't know if it was an older picture or not, if it was a, it was something that you're doing now. You said you're building a sidecar bike, right? Yeah, that, that's that's the old one that I had from a long right? time ago. <laughs> so I, my thing was, I, I knew instantly, I'm like, I know that work. So yeah. that's when I reached out to you. And, and it's just kind of funny how it comes full full circle, you know? It, we, we operate, I try to tell everybody that um, I either know everybody or know somebody who knows everybody. There's not any one person that I'm not like kind of 
either been in the same room with or been in one of somebody that's in their circle. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny how we're kind of the smallest billion dollar industry that I can think of. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a true story. Man. Yeah. There's definitely a 1%. There's a one percenter at the top that, yeah. <laughs> that holds most of the wealth while the rest of us kind of just eke out a living. But uh, it's kind of cool to be in the motorcycle business for a living yeah. and, and make this be, be what you do. So you come here, everything's cool. You're, you're digging it. You're making parts now. Or do you have a full line? Um, we're making parts again. We're, we're coming up with like some new products for some, uh, from Dinas and baggers and stuff like that. So Anything you care to enlighten us with? Um, I mean, are, when you approach something, are you approaching something from, where does that come from? Is it different every time? Or are you like, Hey, there's a problem with this product. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. And this is how we're going to fix this, this problem. Uh, it depends. It depends. It depends if someone, you know, gives us the idea or right. they're like, Oh, there's a problem with this. Maybe you can help us out with it. Gotcha. Um, so it kind of just depends on on what we're what we're trying to make. Gotcha. Um, so we're doing stuff with the street glide right now with the pullback handlebars because you got the fairing and stuff. Sure. So we're doing all kinds of different stuff with that right now. Okay, so you're you're, you're going to focus. You're going to remain focused mainly on the chassis side of things, the the ergonomic piece in in in, in that. Yep. And and so um, you're building frames here. Correct. And you're shipping them to Australia. What's what's your what's your frame of the, the biggest selling frame? What are the what are the frames you're building right now? I mean, is there like you build them in groups or you build them one off or both? Both. Okay. Yeah. So, what's the most common frames being sold right now? Um, well, my biggest customer right now is my in J Japan. Okay, and that's down. that Endo, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, what building. what's what's popular there? Uh, he has a real small gooseneck style frame. Okay. Uh, it's like a negative four. That was gonna be my guess. Yeah. <laughs> Like 40 degree. I mean, the thing is super small and it's tiny. Big twin? Big twin. Okay. Uh, they run a lot of shovel heads, and now they're doing a ton of twin cam A motors. Is it just based on the fact that the, how plentiful they are? Yeah. And so when I've never been to Japan, and so in Japan, is it a – what is the market like? What is the motorcycle market like for V-twins in Japan? Is it if – you, if you had to, like, draw a pie – how much of the pie is, you know, new late model stuff? How much of it is old stuff? How much of it, I mean, if you, you know, obviously everything's got to equal 100, right? Yeah. So it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know the market that well over there. I mean, this company, they, I, I heard from other people as well, they're like the biggest in, in Japan. Sure. You know, hands down. I mean, their facility is three stories. It's, um, pretty impressive man to go check it out yeah that that's a lot of real estate over there and that's one of the most expensive real estate places in the world yeah i mean they're, they're um i don't know if you've seen any pictures of, of how many motors they have on the floor but no but they're e-n-d-o or e-m-d-o e-n e-n-d-o e-n-d-o i'll have to yeah. check them out i'll try to find a picture for you to check out but uh they got i'm gonna grab another beer while you're yeah talking. go ahead i'm good man thanks E-N-D-O. Actually, I don't know if that's got, that's an Android phone. Android user. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's right. I saw you had green text messages. I was like, well, maybe I don't want to interview him. No. <laughs> 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 
It's funny. I always find there's a certain kind of, um, there's like personality traits of people that have androids. It's usually people that don't get caught up in the minutia of having that much information in their hand. I find that the people like me that are on the internet all the time and always on my phone all the time are Apple users. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just huh. think so. I mean, are you, are you a big time phone guy? Are you, are you, I try not to be see, yeah. you just made my point for me. Yeah. I feel like Android people are like, I'm going to, this phone is a tool. I'm going to use it to do this, that, and the other. And that's all I'm going to use it for. With me, I'm like, how much more shit can I put in my phone? Can I integrate with that TV too? I mean, you know. Yeah. You send, you know, you send one wiener pic and it ends up on the family, uh, on the family <laughs> photo album on the, you know, on the Apple TV out yeah. in the entertainment room. And, you, you know, and you got to start, you got to start pulling, you got to pull it back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. You end up in Pinellas. I take it that's that's a facility for the Generac deal. Uh, yep. Yeah. Pinellas is uh, where they have to put their second factory. Um, so they have to have two sales locations, one in Tampa and one in the Pinellas side. Okay. And that's part of their, their franchise deal. Correct. Right. So um, tell me a little bit about the um, the market in, in Australia. I'm, I'm very interested in, in knowing like... <laughs> Is you do you have a do you have a showroom? Do you not have a showroom? Do you have a phone that rings? Do people yeah, get... I had my uh, so I had my phone. It was ringing a lot out there. Uh, was the parts? No one really manufactures parts in Australia. I mean, Burley okay. Handlebars is the only guy. They import a set of Carlinis and they pay over fifteen hundred dollars. And now, for what shipping and everything? Import customs because you're paying on the tax. You know. Because I'm building a bike. I just started a project for a guy in Australia. Okay. And Brian Butera is going to build me a frame. Okay. And, the, and we're doing, <clears throat> this guy has, this is a very good friend of mine that I, again, I, I met through Jesse. I met oh. him at NLP. Um, he's down in Melbourne, and we just found him a 69 shovelhead slab side mm -hmm. because that's pre-VIN. So right. the understanding is that we can ship that over there done, and it doesn't have to have all of the mirrors and blinkers and all the other bullshit it's got to have a, a minimum of things i mean i'm sure there's yeah. a list somewhere but yeah as long as you have the title that's stated that you'll be you'll be all right yeah know? yeah which is a weird thing right yeah i mean what is it really about at that point you know yeah i don't know man it's just um you know just different rules over there you know what time of year did you move to australia um i moved over there it was the beginning of summer our summer? Their summer. Their summer. So yeah. it was our beginning of our winter. But you're yeah. from California anyways. So that was kind of a, that was probably a pretty easy deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not and too bad. so in your, in, you said you're in, uh, you're in Sydney, not Sydney. You're in Sydney, right? Yeah. So what are the winters like there? Um, it gets pretty, pretty chilly there. You'd be surprised. It's down, you know, about 35, 40 in the winter, you know? Right. Uh, a couple of you know, windy, um, a lot of storms, a lot of rain. Any snow? No snow down south from from Sydney, but uh, about Sometime. five hours. But how about like five of the most deadliest creatures on Earth live in fucking Australia? Have you seen a giant, you know, a giant spider in your yeah. toilet yet, or anything? Well, I found weird one like in that? my car. In your fucking car. In the fucking car. Were you driving? I wasn't driving. I just got in, dude. What did you do? I'm telling you right now, I'd lose. I would lose my absolute shit. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty. Uh, well, you get used to them after a while. No. You always see them. A fucking spider as big as your hand? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> and they bite, right? Uh, yeah, it's not poisonous, though, you know. It's just 
Well, a fucking dog hurts when it bites. <laughs> it's not poisonous either. Really? I mean, do you get to the point where you rationalize that? You're just like, mm, it's just kind of what it is. Well, when you, when, like I said, when you first see, see the first one, you're like, shit. But when you start seeing them all over the place, uh, it's just like, eh, you know. Until you find one, like, I mean, when you find one in your house or something like that, you know. <sighs> Can't own a gun over there. You can own a gun. You can. Can you own a handgun? Uh, yes, but I think it has, it has to be a revolver. Really? Yeah. So they had like a big gun buy back there, right? They did. But if you go, it just, it's like, it's like the same as here. You go up to Queensland. I mean, there's guys that carry rifles around and they're freaking, they're shooting kangaroos out of the window of their car. Like that's literally how it is up there. It's like really? the wild west. And that, how far is that from you? Um, it's about, about eight hours, I think. Okay. Eight hour drive. So have you, let me ask you this. Have you, have you been other places in Australia? How oh, did you I, end up yeah. in Sydney? I've been uh, all over up and down, but I haven't been, I have not been to the West Coast yet. Okay. So you, have you been to New Zealand? Yes. How was that? Oh, it was awesome. Everybody I know that has gone to New Zealand has told me that it's the most amazing it is. place on the planet as far as like a modern civilization. Like there's no paper anywhere on the floor. Everybody's nice. Everybody's kind. Everybody well, that's the same as Australia. Really? I mean, yeah. They're, they're, they're based, you know. It's a sister country to them, so it's like they're, it's the same. Okay. See, I was never told that. I, I really want to go to Australia, and I have yeah. a standing offer to go because my friend lives in Melbourne, so that's kind of what... Let's put know. it this way. You still go to the gas station, and you pump your gas first, and then you go inside and pay. Really? So that tells you a lot about people that live there, right? That's the first thing that... It that was the number one first thing that when I moved to Florida that freaked me out was that in Michigan, I pull up to the pump, I'd pump it, I'd go in and pay. I'd wait in line, you know, four or five deep. Yeah. And I moved down here, and I'm like, I'm at the pump, getting it turned on, getting it turned on, and I'm like hitting the, the help button. I'm like, hey, can you turn the pump on? They're like, uh, you have to pay first. I go, I don't know how much I'm going to use. Yeah. Like, well, it doesn't, guess what? We know how much you're going to pay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with 10 bucks. You got 10 bucks on you. We'll put 10 bucks in your tank. And then if you need five more, you can put five more in, but you're going to pay for it first. Yeah. And that let me know that there's some fucking scumbags. In oh Florida. yeah. So you're, you're by the beach too. Yep. What do you think of the beaches? Oh, it's freaking amazing, man. I mean, nothing, you know, you go to the beach there. I mean, compared to California, it's, I mean, night and day difference. Right. Yeah. Well, how, how so? Well, there's California. even sharks in the water in Australia too, like like big time, right? Uh, well, it depends on where you're at, you know. Okay. Uh, like most of that stuff is on the west coast, the big sharks. Okay. You know? But there's never really that many shark attacks or anything in Sydney, you know. Gotcha. Or even up in the Gold Coast, um, but the water is warm, you know, warmer. Right. Cal California, it's effing freezing. Yeah, I know? went in the Pacific one time. I was like. What is everybody doing? This this wasn't like in this isn't in the Beach Boys song. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just super clean, you know, clear. Uh, so I didn't even take up surfing. I lived. I used to live in Huntington Beach. I used to live five blocks from the water. I think I went surfing four or five times in three years. When I moved to Australia, I started surfing. And I'd go at least once a week. Really? Yeah. And so the people are nice. Yeah. The place is clean. You enjoy it there. Yeah. Is that is that home? That's home. Really? Yeah. It's going to stay home. How how hard, how long did it take? You know, you already had a right side drive car. How long did it take you to learn to drive on the left side of the road? Uh, that's a little tricky. You know, it takes it takes a little bit of time. Your brain doesn't process it immediately. Right. And then you, if you're if you're on the, sh the lane or on the highway by yourself, it's very tricky. If, if there's other traffic, you just follow. Obviously, you follow the cars. Right. But um, you can easily mess up. I see foreigners doing it all the time when they come over there. 
Do you have an American passport or do you have an Australian passport? American passport. Okay, so are you a citizen there? No, not a citizen yet. Will you be? I will be. Yeah, and so that what kind of process is that? I'd imagine oh, there's some money and yeah, it's a jump through some hoops and pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I go to the UK. We're going again in September. One of my best friends lives over in the UK, and I can't even cross the street by myself because I walk out to the street. And which way do I look? Yeah, the other wrong way. I'm looking this way, and I walk out in the street, and someone's boom, about yeah. run me over. I'm like, okay, I, I need a fucking handler when I'm over here, especially yes. if I'm walking back from the pub. It's funny because when you're in Australia, they have a thing, and it says look, and it has an arrow. Really? To show you which way to look for the traffic because they get a ton of foreigners over there, you know? That's true, yeah. And uh, maybe it's happened one too many times. What's the most American thing over in Australia? What was the one thing? Is there anything you've gone to you're like, well, this is just okay. This is just exactly how how, how it should be. Everything I, I feel comfortable with the whole thing. Uh, probably seeing Bud Light over there. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, what's Bud the Weiser. most What's the most Australian thing that you're like? What the fuck? This wasn't in the brochure. Oh man, has There's there been anything that. like that? Seeing those freaking Utes, those Holden Utes. What is? What? It's a Holden. It's like a. Do you remember those old Subaru Brats? Yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. It's almost like an El Camino kind of thing. Dude, those things are freaking everywhere. My buddy has one with an LS or an LT1 in it or That's something. That's it. That's a Holden. Yeah, and he didn't he uh he quit driving it. Uh-huh. Because it I guess it's worth some oodles of money, the one that he has. It's I, he told me, it's like he just told me this recently that it, he just found out it's worth like 30 grand. Huh. You know, and he paid like 18 for it or some kind of thing like that. Yeah. But, so that that's a very distinctly the one thing I say I watch the burnout contests. Oh yeah, yeah Australians love burnouts and yeah. cars with a thousand horsepower, dude. And they're all four doors. Yep, that yeah, it's crazy. See it all the time, and they put them in this like little tiny trucks, like yeah, <laughs> thousand horsepower. <laughs> hey, I got a whole bunch of pictures of those guys, man. Freaking yeah. big ass blowers. So the scene's cool over there. Is there a scene? I mean, what, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so how long does it take? So you go over there. You know people already, or no? Yeah, I start. I meet a lot of friends, man. So, you, so you go over there. You got. You have some ambassadors to kind of show you around. Everything's yep. good. No, no, no big shakes. You know, you find a place to live. Everything's yep. good. Every, you start working. Everything's everything's just kind of how you need it to be, right? Yep. That's yep. cool, man. Yeah. I, I was I was waiting for you to tell me. No, nah, man, I. You know, I walked into this room and there was these dudes and it was like the Yakuza or I don't know. <laughs> You're pretty easy going dude then I guess. Yeah, it's all good over there, man. I mean, the people are so friendly. They'll give you the shirt off their back, man. Right. It's, it's next level. And do you, do you find that it's, do you find that people are uh, inquisitive about you because of your American accent or, does, I mean, is that, is that in a social situation, is that, is that a, any kind of a, you know, conversation starter or anything. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're at the bar ordering a beer. People are like, "Oh, where are you from?" You know, mm -hmm. they always they always think you're Canadian because a lot of Canadians go over there. Check it out. Yeah, the guy that I told you, uh, Chris Nelson, that he needs me to get him some parts. I just remembered. Um, I had only texted with him ever, right? Yeah. And for years, I've known this dude. He lives in. I know he lives in the Gold Coast. Yeah. Well, so I finally, I'm like, "Hey, you need to call me." And we picked a time that was good for him and good. It was like eight in the morning for him and like six at night for me kind of deal. Yep. And I call him and he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to go over here and, uh, you know, I'm like, what are you in Australia? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, where's your accent? He's like, I'm from Canada, man. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, where at? And he's like London. And I'm like, 
that's like an hour from where I grew up. You know, I grew up in Detroit and London, Ontario is like an hour, hour and a half away. I was like, oh, well, that explains that. It just kind of threw me for a loop. I'm yeah, like, wow, crazy. dude, you don't have any accent. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny. Do you do you find that it's, do you, you know, like you, do you get drunk and then start picking up any, have you picked up any of the local lingo? Like, is there anything? Oh, yeah. There's tons of stuff, man. So how, how far, how, how long does it take you to, where you say it over here and people are like, what? Uh, well, it, it, you catch yourself all the time saying it. Um, like they say, like, how you going? It's like a big popular thing. Like, how you going? Like, you're like, how you doing? Yeah. Or okay. Like, how, how are you going? It's like, uh, my foot. I'm going to take my truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a funny saying that you pick up all the time, you know, and cunt is a massive word over there. It's such a, and it's not, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the connotation that it has here. Oh, in no. States. Girls say it, you know. I love it. It's what's one of my favorite words, hands down, just because of the the sheer <laughs> velocity of the visceral response I get from people when you use the word cunt around here, and they're just like, "What did you just say?" And yeah. you know, oh, over there, man, guys are just calling their mates all the time. Cunt, yeah, just yelling it across the bar. Hey, cunt, give me another beer. <laughs> <laughs> That is great. Yeah, yeah that's funny. funny. It's even in in England. It's a it's much more common than it is here, but it doesn't have the same visceral response here. Like my buddy's wife, like we'll say cunt, and she's just like, you know, I don't like that word, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, she doesn't say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, other than that. But it's funny you say it to a. a, a Especially a white girl over here. Oh man, Whew. it's like the worst word ever. Yeah, it's like way worse than bitch. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. You go on the other side of the water, and it's like, it's like a friendly word. You know, yeah. You call your friends. So, do you have like a long term plan for for what you want Tin Works to be in the states? Or I don't. I, and, uh, I, and I and I I'm not trying to lead you into a corner, but I mean, obviously you're you're here. You're planning. Long term wise, I mean, you, you said Australia is going to be home. Yep. But you're gonna you're gonna make sure that you you allocate some time here every year. Is the idea that you're gonna do some? Is it's it's easier and more profitable and a better thing for you to do some some work here and then and, lot, and yes. keep a place. So some of the, most of the manufacturing, the machine shop side of it, I'm gonna keep open here because it is very hard to get certain size of material in raw aluminum and stuff in Australia. Gotcha. So we're going to keep that open and a lot of stuff's going to be American made, you know, okay. so I'll ship, you know, parts I need over there to Australia and then still keep the, the product line going over here as well. And then, uh, if the private, if I do a lot of private labeling for other people, then I'll just keep that going as well. Okay. Because so do you have employees here or are you just a one man show right now? Right now I got, I got two guys. Okay. So you're already, I mean, the, the this sounds corny, but this is really kind of the, that's a, an American success story, right? So mm -hmm. you're, you're doing, you're doing something, you're, you're, you're doing commerce and manufacturing with somebody that's, that's a, that's a real good partner for the United States. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they rely on us for a lot of stuff over there. Do they not? Yep. I mean, yep. you know, like regular stuff too. Correct. Right. And so, and you're building stuff here, you're employing people here. I'm assuming you have at least one employer or something over in, in Australia as well. Yep. I would assume, right? Yep. How big is your facility in, uh, in Sydney? Uh, we got about 30, I think it's 3,600 square feet. Okay. So it's a good size shop. Yeah. And you're building bikes there? You were doing bikes, a lot of like one-off fabrication work. Like all motorcycle? Bike, all motorcycle. Mo okay. Most of it. Yeah. About 90%. Okay. So... We, we know you do frames. We know yep. you do oil bags. 
You're a sheet metal guy though too, are you not? Do a little sheet metal, yeah. I try I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because it's time consuming or yeah. because it requires so much so much uh, investment in, in material too? I don't mind doing it if I don't have anyone working for me. Right. But you know, you sit down and you start doing something, your mind's in it, and it's like, hey, this end mill broke. I need you to come freaking fix this machine. You know, you you get, you know, you start losing, you know, running running a shop, you're just you're all over the place. You're to right. keep the the keep the machine running you know sure yeah proverbially yeah. right i mean you're literally you're talking about a machine that breaks but you're talking about the whole thing as, as a well-oiled machine you want to be your workflow to be good in in that so um are you do you have like a degree in manufacturing or are you just school of hard knocks and, and, hard and knocks, learn man. the right way had some good teachers some good mentors and yeah man and, that hands down i mean i worked at a lot of different manufacturing plants but when I worked at Daytech, um, do you know Speed, uh, Steve at Speaking? I know who he is. I don't know so him personally. He, he came from Daytech as well. So Did that's not why. not know that. Yeah. So he worked Daytech. I know he's friends with a good friend of mine, Paul, at Bare Knuckle Choppers. Yep. yep do you know friend. Paul? I know Paul. Do yep. you know, I mean, like, do you just know him through business or just know who he is or? Through business. Um, okay. Just kind of known each other for a long time. I don't know him, like, personally on a really good level or anything like that, you know? Yeah. He and, he and I are, have been very good friends since about, I think I met him. I met him in Daytona. Oh, I want to say oh six. Oh, okay. We've been we've been pretty tight. Every, every there was a lull in there where he was kind of doing his thing. When I moved down here to Florida, uh-huh. um, I had a very different experience than what you had when I sold my business and moved away to start another business. Um, it was that part of it wasn't. I wasn't. It wasn't a favorable reception. I mean, there was nobody looking to. You know, I was kind of ostracized. I think just based on the fact that <clears throat> the business. I've always been on the service side of things. Yeah. And so if I'm not if I'm not using your parts, I'm not helping your business. And so all these business relationships that I have, I learned that you have to you have to cultivate a different kind of relationship if you want a different kind of relationship, right? You have yeah. to have to it, it and it's not being mean. It, he wasn't being disrespectful to me. It was I was no longer a customer of his. So and so there was only so much bandwidth, right? And I was here, he was there, and we never had a problem, but we just kind of, you know, we weren't in the same circles anymore. And so the same thing happened. You know, I have friends that, like Pat Patterson from Lead Sled. Yeah, me me, me and Pat are good friends. I've always been friends with him, right? And I didn't see him for a lot of years because when I moved down here, I kind of ghosted everybody. I kind of just kept my head down and and tried to to build this up. And then, you know, about four years ago, I was in Sturgis, and I ran into him, and I mean, you know, you would have thought, I mean, he just come up, give me a big hug, and we're hanging out, and the next thing, everything's good, you know? And it's, I like that about this business. Yeah. You know, um, I tell this story often, but I was at Warren's house, and, you know, Warren is uh, an exceptional artist. Yeah. And he's really introspective, and he's quiet, and he doesn't really say a whole lot. He lets his work speak for him. And even when you're friends with him, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't call. He's not someone that calls to find out how you're doing. You know what I mean? If you hear something happens, he'll call and make sure you're all right. There's yeah. a difference, right? Yeah. But he's not in your space, yep. right? He's got his thing, and he's he's calm, quiet, and just likes to work. And <clears throat> I was at his house, and we're sitting out there on the back deck, and we're having a beer, and we're you know he lives on the lake in Miami, mm-hmm. in the same house that his parents brought him and Billy home from from the hospital when they were babies. Mm-hmm. And he wants to do airplanes, and he wants to get out of the bike thing. He says, you know, and he's like, but he goes, I can't. He goes. I love the planes, but I don't get this. 
You know what I mean? There's not this. Like, we're, I've never met you before. You've never met me. We've done some business over the course of the last 20 years. Yeah. But this wasn't a difficult thing to do to sit down and talk about things that are pretty private and pretty intimate as far as the way you run your business and where you've been and what you've done. And and he does, he says this doesn't exist anywhere else. And it doesn't exist in the car game either because before I was in the motorcycle business, I was in the car deal. Uh -huh. And if, not like a super high level, but I mean at a high enough level where we were all spending every penny we had and trying to go as fast as we could. And we have this community of people that were all really nice, but when we weren't at the track, we didn't know each other. You know uh -huh. what I mean? We, we weren't in each other's lives where every person I know right now is a motorcycle person. Yeah. Like every substantive relationship I have on the planet other than family is a motorcycle related person. And, and he was alluding to the fact he goes, you, you know, that's what you don't get in other, in other areas. You know, you might fill your bucket up with what you're doing with the airplane thing. You know, he's just into the old, the old aircraft, like the vintage stuff. Yep. And he's so good at everything he does mm -hmm. that, but he's, he, you know, he, it's the social thing and we're social creatures, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of important. And that's why I was asking you, like when you move, what is it? 4,000 miles or 6,000? I don't even know what it is. Yeah. I think it's like 7,000 miles. Right. So there's not, you're not going to run into somebody that you know. Yeah. Very rarely. Right. Yeah. I mean, I run into people down here that I know uh -huh. from Michigan every once in a while. It just happens, but they're motorcycle people. Yeah. Right. So you go over there and, you know, you got a right-hand drive Volkswagen, so you're ahead of the game, but you still got to <laughs> learn how to drive on the left side of the street is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> so you're doing the, the tin, tin Works, right? Yep, Tin yep. Works. And that's what your Instagram handle is. Correct. And so you're, you're open for business. If somebody needs a frame built, they can give you a call. Give me a call. And so <clears throat> how does that process work? Because that's something that, you know, mine was real easy. I drew it on a piece of paper. I faxed it over to, to Paul at Bare Knuckle, and he says, what do you think about this? And I said, good, and we did it. That's basically how it goes. I mean, they tell me the up and the out, like what, what kind of, mostly like a style or a bike they like. Right. Oh, send me a picture of this, you know, and then I get it, and I can t basically tell what the up and the out is and what the rake is. Right. Uh, what size tire do you want to run? Oh, I want to run a 200. Okay, let's do a left side drive, obviously. Anything bigger than a 200, you want to probably go right-hand drive. Sure. Um, so you just kind of go, what, what kind of motor do you want to use? You want to use four speed, you know, um, all that stuff and just go from there, build it, help, help the customer build it up. Uh, one thing at a time, you know, different sure. down tube sizes, uh, styles, single down tube, gooseneck, dual wishbone, single, um, just a million things you could do, you know, radius backbone, radius down tubes, um, I'm, I'm thinking now too, there was, um, and I don't know if it was you or there was a place in, in California called metal shop customs and he built a lot. And so it's obviously not something that you, that you know, um, there was a, it was metal shop customs and he would copy, um, he would replicate is a better word. He'd replicate like Jesse's tanks. Huh? And, um, he had built a Kenny boys pro street. FXR based with two down tubes, but he put it up and out and put like a, a kid rock tank on it or something. It was all these different little things that he had done. And you had had at one point in time or another, you had a, a frame that was similar to a dominator. Did you not? Yep. That was yep. square tubing. And what was obviously Jesse had copied that or, replicated uh -huh. borrowed every, you know i think everything's already kind of been done yeah it has yeah. everything's derivative yep um there's a difference between being derivative and being redundant mm -hmm. so 
you you decide you're going to build a frame that's in the the likeness of the Harmon Dominator Correct. frame that John built. Yep. And it ends up being in the likeness of what Jesse was building. Did, was there ever any kind of, you know? Uh, no, I never got anything like that, you know? Um, I mean, I just built it. To the That's what the customer wanted. So right. I built a couple of them, and then they kind of became popular. I made about maybe 10 of them, maybe 20 at max. Right. Um, for a couple <clears throat> guys that wanted that style of bike. It's kind of tough to not. That was such a successful run of of motorcycle from we'll just say let's just say 2000 where motorcycle mania came out yep and 2010 when he packed up shop in in long beach it's you know a 10 to 11 year period of some really exceptional motorcycles oh yeah who shows up on your radar as far as exceptional motorcycle builders obviously you have a good relationship with bill dodge yep and bill dodge was this goes back to when i was telling you that I, i would love to see the two of them just hug it out even if they never talk to each other again after that, just because of the fact that I think it's impossible for Jesse to deny. You talked about somebody running a machine shop and running a service department. Arguably, the most successful run at West Coast Choppers oh, yeah. was when Bill was the general manager of that, or the shop foreman, rather, yep. of, of that place. Yep. And some of the most exceptional motorcycles, in my opinion, that were built came out of that shop. I happen to be impartial or uh to be partial to to that design mm-hmm. and that and that look i mean i just really think that when i think of a california chopper that's what i think of so i think it's impossible to, to deny bill um some some actual credit for some of the success there. oh yeah 100 who, who are some of the other builders that you're like god damn i want to build a frame for that guy because i i know he'll do something good with it or oh i want yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. or who's somebody that you built a frame for that when they showed you the picture of the bike that they built you're like damn you knocked it out i couldn't have done that myself yeah. or i wouldn't have thought to do that well, one of the guys that i worked really close with was todd cycle yeah i mean todd was unbelievable man he had a really good eye for stuff and he, that guy was Really talented. He's next level because he's he kind of and, and correct me if I'm wrong. He worked at PM at one time correct. or another, right? Yep. And so he maybe had some of the classic training that you had, kind of yep. being in, in 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 such a, a successful business, arguably one of the most successful aftermarket companies that was you know pivotal in in yep. moving moving those moving the chains to the next level. I mean, a lot of Jesse's bikes had PM brakes on them. A lot of the best bikes in the world had PM brakes oh, on yeah. them or PM wheels and, yeah, everyone and those kind of things. So Todd kind of had, you know, put himself, I, I like to think that people put themselves in places where they have the ability to kind of soak up some of that. At yep. least some of the most successful people in our industry. Yep. But so you have Todd who's now in Hawaii. Yep. Right. Yep. Did you build any of his production parts? Uh, never did his production parts. I, I did all of his frames though. Did you? Okay. Yeah. So all the frames that he built, most of the bikes on, I would do most of the chassis for him. Um, and then when Jesse was over there, Jesse Rook, yeah, I was doing all Rook stuff, the, the frames and the. Did you build ends. the Dyna frame? The one that he the the one he called Dyna like D. He built the bike that had it was kind of like a Schwinn Stingray frame that he called Dyna, right? Didn't he mm. call it that? I'm not sure. I was doing I was doing all Jesse stuff okay. for a long time. Uh, he did like a production run for Bruce Rossmeyer. Yeah. So I did all the frames for that um, and the front ends. How was he to deal with? Uh, everyone had their, their own different opinion on him. You know, he was very tough to work with. Yeah. You know? um, we had a lot of different ups and downs. 
And then we just kind of like decided as best as part ways, you know, with yeah. each other. Um, I know he was, um, I, I, I met him a couple of times. I didn't have, I did not have a favorable, favorable uh, interaction with him. I didn't dis, I, I disliked him from that point of view. I don't, you know, obviously don't wish yeah. harm on anybody. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, he, he was who he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think he was a product of a, a, a massive amount of success. Yeah. And he was, <clears throat> you can't take away um, his, I'm hoping it was his design ideas for most of his bikes. That he, had, yeah. he had his own style. You know what I mean? Yeah, de- yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, he had he had really good ideas with with what he, what he wanted to do. Yeah, um, yeah, him, Kano. You know? Yeah, yeah. I like that guy. Yeah, man, he's cool. I, dude, I got man. to know him um, very well for a very short per- period of time, and he fancied my sister. I have a sister that was in the that was a model in the motorcycle industry, and he fancied her a little bit. So I kind of, <laughs> you know, I kind of ended up knowing him a little bit more through that oh yeah because some of the some of the events we went to oh nice (laughs) nice yeah we did i used to do a production frame for him as well Mm -hmm. uh for a while and then um we're still good friends you know i still talk to him here and there time to time what are your what are your aspirations and where do you want to take it i mean you seem to be i'm i'm kind of reading reading from just hearing the stories you tell and having dealt with you over the last 12 to 15 years, you know, just on a business level, right? Hit yeah. onesie twosie things here and there that, that you're kind of, you're happy with what you're doing and you're in a yeah, good just, place. Yeah. And just chucking along, man. You and know? you're kind of, you're just going to take whatever, whatever kind of gets thrown at you and, and, and make the most of it. And yeah, basically. So what, what is your, what do you, what's the mark? I mean, I, everybody wants to leave a mark. I always tell people, I like to play to the back of the room. I'm never, never, never going to be a Bill Dodge or a Warren Lane or Billy Lane or Je- Jesse James. But I have a tremendous amount of pride in my heart knowing that I'm friends with, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with, with Warren. Um, Billy and I know each other fairly well from yeah. years ago. Um, Bill Dodge and I are, I think, real good friends. Mm-hmm. And Jesse and I know each other and have talked and stuff. Um, I don't think he has any ill will for me. So I, I take some pride in knowing that if my name came up in a conversation, someone said, yeah, I know that guy. He's a, he's a good dude. Yeah. You know, he worked hard. He, he had a motorcycle shop, a regular motorcycle shop. I'm just a regular motorcycle guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I put some bikes together, and I think I put a bike together. I think I final assemble a bike as well as anybody on the planet. I oh. really believe that in my heart of hearts. But what, what, is your, what is your legacy? That's a good question, man. Um, I like to leave behind something good, you know, a good, a good name, uh, something. It's very hard to find people that wouldn't work hard for something nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. no one wants to work. Um, that the talent of like handcrafting stuff is just, it's like a dying breed, man. Isn't it, don't you find it to be almost arbitrary that 20 years ago, Jesse James was on the discovery channel and, and that has to, I have to say that I think that that lit a fire under a lot of people's asses mm-hmm. and it created a group of people that really wanted to emulate what he was doing and learn how to use those tools. Yep. Don't you find it a little ironic that you're having trouble sourcing talent 20 years later? I mean, wouldn't you think there would be a plethora of that? Yeah, it's it's mind-blowing to me, you know? I just, I think of myself, how I started, and, like, the opportunity that you give people to work in a shop, and, you know, you can use the tools whenever you want. 
You can stay here after work. You can build a bike. As soon as time comes, they're gone. They want no desire to learn how to weld, like better their ability. Right. Um, it's just gone, man. I haven't had a guy like that in years, you know, just wants to better themselves. Right. Like I used to stay late at Daytech. I wasn't getting paid. I was just learning how to use the mill. I would learn how the machinists use it, see what, how they change the tools, what speeds and feeds they were running, um, just to better my ability to build better bikes. Right. You know, these guys just want to do their job and want to go home. You know, and it's just, um, it's pretty sad, you know, it's pretty sad. What do you think, what do you think the fix for, is for it? I don't know if there is a fix, you know, you just keep going through people, you try to find somebody and you give people different up, like, uh, opportunities, young kids, older guys, um, try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Maybe this guy will soak it up and want to run with it. Some people have it, man. Like my business partner in Australia. I mean, you give them, you just tell them one thing and the guy takes it and runs with it. You know, I mean, uh, just some people you can tell if they have it or not when they start working for you and you know, you just get a lot of people that just don't care, you know, um, they don't care about putting in the extra work or they don't even care about the work that they're doing. Even that, I mean, either, either or, right. You know, it's just, uh, it's just kind of sad, you know, it just makes you not even want to, I mean, you can't, if you're trying to run a business, that's why everything's going automated, you know, right. I mean, you put a part in the machine, you press a button, it comes out. That's it. There's no mistakes. Yeah. But isn't it fair to say though, that somebody had to build the first one by hand? Yeah. Or do you not have to even do that anymore? Well, I mean, now you can just draw it up and just make the machine build it. I mean, it depends, you know, what <laughs> you you're still, You get to test it and fit it and all that stuff. But, yeah. So do you use any 3D printing? Uh, no, I don't. No. You just, you're, are you, are you, do you not because you're, you're skilled enough and confident enough in your mechanical engineering ability well, to design something that doesn't need it? Or is it, is it just an extra step that's not necessary or... Well, it's good for other different things. Like a 3D printer, it takes a long time, first, first of all. Like to print something, it takes, it would take tw 12 hours for it to print. I didn't know that. Yeah, it takes a long time for it to, to okay. lay the plastic. So, I mean, the time it takes you to do that, you can just make it out of a piece of aluminum. And then if, if it doesn't work, you just throw the aluminum away. Do you ever make something out of like PVC or Delrin to test fit it that you're going to make out of, out of metal? It would seem to me, like, I don't, I'm an idiot, right? Yeah. So, you agreed with no, me on that. Way too fast. <laughs> No, I know I'm telling you I am. So what I do is like, I'm not a machinist. I kind of understand like what the machine, I understand what the machine's doing. I'm proficient. I have a lathe. I'm proficient with that. And I yeah. really want to buy a bridge port, but okay. I want to do everything manually because, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I know that, that math is involved in that, but it seemed to me like what I'll, sometimes I'll make something out of Delrin and then test fit it. And then I'll make it out of aluminum. Because I'm in my in my brain, even though it's taking a little bit longer, I can make the second piece faster, right? And uh -huh. I'm not hurting my tools and wasting aluminum. I'm I'm, I'm using Delrin, which well, the Delrin know. is probably the same cost as the aluminum, but the tool's not though. <laughs> is what I'm yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, but if you I mean if you if you know the the speeds and feeds of the tool, see okay. Then, so there's the answer. I need to take a machinist class. Yeah, well, I mean I can teach you. It's easy, you know, once you learn. Right. Well, I've got a friend who's a machinist and he comes over here. And I'm like, dude, I, you know, he's like, oh, you're making, you're making chips. So it must, you know, you must be doing some. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, I like my, my, my signature move is I make something that looks like a Stanley cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I mean, in, in the, 
I mean, if you make it out of Delron, then the speeds and feeds are going to be different. It's going to cut different on the aluminum, you know? Oh, I so, got I mean, you. It's, so you have to learn the speeds and feeds anyways. Gotcha. Yeah. I've never heard it articulated that way. Yeah. You know, I've always been a, if it looks, if it looks straight, it is straight kind of guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I stole that from Billy Lane. <laughs> the, he said that in one of the biker build ups, because if it looks straight, it is straight. And I'm like, okay, I like that this guy. Good, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, you can, you can only fight. I find that you can only fight someone else's work so much. Like you're responsible for the part that you do. Yeah. And like I told you, I, I feel like I can final assemble a bike as good or better than anybody. Yep. Well, so when, when that's your focus, because you didn't make all the parts leading up to it, you're fixing other people's mistakes and hiding them. Does that make any sense to yeah. you? Yeah, yep, it does. Right, so, you know, when you get a hardtail kit that's not perfectly square, you have two choices. You can rebuild it yourself, which means you probably should have built it in the first fucking place. Yep. Or you you work around everything and make everything look straight and make it work right, obviously. You know, that sounds really bad. I don't yeah. want someone to think that that's, like, my go-to, but, I mean, those are the options that you have. Yeah. I mean, you have one yeah, or two options. Either you redo it yourself or and you decide, you know, how far is something allowed to be off? You know, you can you can cheat it other ways. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, but ultimately, you want, you want it to look, you know, you want it to be one of, like, you know, that El Rey bike there or something. Yeah. You know, you want it to be visually pleasing and you want it to be mechanically sound and you want it to be safe. Yep. And I tell people all the time, motorcycles don't stand up on their own. Yep. So, what is the, uh, what's your favorite, like, what's your, when you... When it's when business is done for the day and you're like I'm gonna make something for myself, where's the first where's the first place you start? Like, are you are you more of a Bridgeport guy or more of a lathe guy or do you do you like putting a hand a hammer in your hand? Do you like what you like with the welding helmet on? Where, where's your safe space? Um, probably in front of the mill. Um, you know, I start. It depends on what I'm trying to build. You know, mm -hmm. but usually it involves all three. To be honest, you know, I got to make the bungs that make them on the lathe and notch the tubing on the mill and then I weld it on the on the on the welding table. So right. usually it's all three things involved. Um just depends on what what I'm trying to create. Gotcha. Is there any up and comers that you're looking at that you see on social media like, oh man, this guy's mind blowing. I mean there's some mind blowing guys oh, yeah. out there right now. Yeah there, there are is. some guys that are mind blowing. Who stands out to you? Um, there's a guy in Japan, I think it's Cherry's, Cherry's company. Have okay. You, have you seen him? I have work? not, but I'm, I'm going to write him down. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, the guy is unbelievable, man. Um, it's, it, I don't really find too many new guys cause I don't really look that often, you know? Right. Um, if I see someone post something about someone else, I'll, I'll try to look at their stuff to see who they are. But it's just the same guys. Typically. Have you ever seen, have you seen the dude that vintage technologies guy? His name is uh, Hawk. Nope. You need to look him up. And there's a kid named Christian Newman, C.T. Newman on Instagram. And you being a machinist and a fabricator, this kid will absolutely blow your mind, the, the stuff that he has the ability to do. He built a bike a couple years ago. I don't know, three years ago, 2017. It was in Michael Lichter's Art Expo uh -huh. in Sturgis. All of the drive was on the outside of the frame for the rear wheel. It had a knucklehead. It was mind-blowing. Hmm. So there's guys out there, oh, right? Yeah, there I mean, is. like, so, yeah. you know, like Born Free stuff. Yep. Do you follow that stuff? Yep. Yeah, I follow that. Yeah. I mean, these guys, those guys go, go to those shows and, and break people's brains. Yep. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, I'm just, 
you know, I'm a simple, I like a, you know, I like a peanut tank that's Frisco mounted yeah. with, you know, 180 rear tire and, <laughs> you know, yeah. I keep it really simple. I don't try to go outside of my comfort zone too far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while you come up with something, you know, um, it just depends on if you got the available time to make it, make it happen, you know? Right. You ever have anybody ask you something to do something? You're just like, no, I, I, that's just, it's, it's not, it's, it's not in your brain. Doesn't, doesn't make the, make the ones and zeros happen yeah that that's happened to me a couple of times um you know you know who ken's factory is mm-hmm. one time he wanted me to manufacture the uh, a girder for for him and he gave me all the, the like some sample parts uh drawings and stuff he wanted to make and i was just like man this is next level you've seen all the stuff he makes it's pretty yeah pretty intense so um other than that i mean if it's a frame it's, pr- it's pretty simple you know right um no matter how many bends and so that's that's somewhere to hang your hat, right? Yeah. You build a you build the best frame in the business. Yeah. You know, hands down, and you're comfortable with with you're comfortable with that statement. Oh yeah. That you know, if somebody wants a frame, you're the guy. Yep. They should see you. That's good. Hundred percent. That's good. Anything else? You, so we can follow you on Instagram on Tinworks. Yeah, Tinworks Inc. Tinwork, Tinworks Inc. Do you yep. post anything from Australia on there? Uh, we we sh- we do. Um, okay. We haven't lately, but we, we will again pretty soon. And that's the best place to reach you too. Correct. Slide into your DMs if yep, somebody slide wants to into frame. My DMs. <laughs> Any ladies in the Pinellas Park area that you know? <laughs> <laughs> go hang out at them beach in the beach bars. Come bring me a, go. Come bring me a nice cold beer, sweating in the shop. Yeah, or a boat drink, right? Yeah. Well, cool, man. I really I appreciate you driving over to do this. This is fun. Yeah, we did an Thank hour you. and a half. It yeah. goes oh, pretty. Wow. It goes, yeah, it goes pretty fast. fast. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me out, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate all these years and put a face to the put yep. a face to the name. So, yep. I appreciate you. All right, man. Thanks. Yep. You have been listening to the Power Wheels podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. Thank you for listening. <laughs>